Hello and welcome to this latest uh, podcast episode on Right for Your Life. Today I'm joined by Catherine White. Uh, she's a uh, widely published children's author uh, with books including Here Comes the Crocodile and more recently Ruby's School Walk, which are published uh, published with Little Tiger Press and Barefoot Books. That's right, Catherine, isn't it? And hello, of That's course. That's right. <laughs> hello. Hi. Yes, Ruby's School Walk is my latest with Barefoot and my first book with Barefoot as well. And um, the thing that we're going to be talking about today is uh, the theme for this podcast is going to be libraries. And just to give the people listening, especially those of you not in the UK, a bit of background. So at, at the moment, there's a huge uproar in, um, well, all over the country, really, because the government are planning to cut the funding, cut council's funding for uh, libraries across the country. And it's going to lead to uh, loads and loads of closures, just a stupid amount of closures um, across the country. And of course, uh, writers and library goers, librarians, and just the general public, frankly, are uh, we're all very upset about it for lots of different reasons. And Catherine, you've been involved with uh, the campaigning for it as a, an established author. You've been right there on the front line, haven't you? Absolutely, yes. I've I've been out there with um, my clipboard and petition papers, getting people to sign the petition, which hasn't been hard because they're so angry and uh, upset about the fact that such a fantastic service is going to be taken away from them, that they're actually queuing to sign the petition. They were lining up in the streets and saying, I'll sign it, I'll sign it. So um, well, that, that's, it, there's that... a... That's that's a good. I've I've got one point that I want to make about this before I before I before we crack on with what I think will turn into a a dual rant. That's interesting <laughs> that you said uh, that people are queuing up to sign the petition. One thing that I've noticed people say, and uh, it tends to be middle class people like ourselves, I guess, um, that keep saying, "Oh, this is all good and well, and yes, I love the library and all that kind of thing," but I haven't been in a library for ages. Now, to me, for a, a, a you know a middle class um, person to say that is kind of missing the point because libraries times have moved on, but libraries are a place for communities, and not all, not everyone can nip down to Wardstones and buy their latest whatever they buy, and 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 it's disingenuous to think that because we haven't potentially been in a library for a while or because you're a middle class person, you can do what you like, money's not really a problem, you haven't been into, in a library for a while, that's forgetting the millions of people where that simply doesn't apply. My granddad, for instance, he can't go to Wardstones, he needs audio books because he can't see anymore, he can't afford yeah. to go out and buy them all the time. My, my grandma needs um, uh, large print because her eyesight's not so great and that's the sort of, the sort of service is, uh, the, li the, the library provides is for the marginalised as much as anything, or for the people that in a community that can't get access to it elsewhere. And that's, to me, that's the crux of the problem, not the fact that, oh, I've not been in the library for a while. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's it's misleading because the computers kind of disconnect people from everyone else. And um, they're quite comfortable. They think, you know, it's OK, I've got my computer, everything is there for me. But it, it's a surprisingly high amount of children in Britain, I think it's something like 40% of children um, don't have computers at home. They don't have access to the internet, internet at home. They use them in schools and libraries. And I mean, when I was there, there was a guy, he was about, I'd say, what, 20, 21, 22, who was going specifically to get onto the internet. 
so that he could get access to information about jobs and careers and local colleges and things like that. I mean, I think 40 percent is the is the uh, is the, you know, the yeah. number. And that's a lot of kids without access to computers. So, you know, people think there isn't a need. But those people that think there isn't a need often have everything they have at home. They've got the computers at home and they, it disconnects them from what's going on around them. Yeah, and, know, I think, because... and I think that ties in with another one of the problems that, that I see. The suggestion is, suggestion is that if your local library has been closed, it doesn't matter because there will be um, uh, another library within a few miles or something like that. But the idea that that everyone can possibly afford to get a bus or to uh, or, or is able physically able to walk or, or, or make their way several miles down the road uh, to a library, it just that's just not that people just aren't don't have that. Well, is this? Yeah, I mean, we all whiz about in cars and all the rest of it. And again, it's the same. You know, you've got a car, you've got a computer, you're fine, thanks. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have to rely on a very, very sparse bus service. So what happens? You close local libraries down and they've got to pay something in the region of five or six pounds in this area to get to the nearest town to get a book. Now, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, it's the price of a book or some books, you know, and people can't afford to pay that. And they get to the library, they find that the hours have been cut, so the library's closed. What are they supposed to do? Um, the worrying part of this is not only are they shutting the static libraries, Ian, but they're also planning to cut, I think it's four out of six mobile libraries. So along with the bus services, the fact that they're going to cut out four library services that people, as you say, like your grandparents or children. I mean, my children, we lived in a village where we had two bus services a day and I relied on the mobile library to come so that I could get books for them through the week. Yeah. I couldn't drive at the time. I was a young mother. I couldn't drive. So the mobile library turned up on a Wednesday, 11 o'clock in the morning. We were there getting our books. I mean, as a um, child, I, I relied on the ch library as a as a as a child. I mean, I was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a writer as, as such now. I wouldn't have that same passion if I hadn't have been able to go into my local library and borrow four books a week, and then go back the next week and get the next four. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like to show off, but apparently, I was the first <laughs> ch first child to read every book in the children's section by Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You see, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? <laughs> well, in, in many ways. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, you're quite right. And, and it, it's, you know, if it's not there, you know, if it's not there, children will lose so much. They will lose so much. I, I did the Birmingham um, Children's Festival about five years ago. It was a long time ago, but I, I actually went out with the mobile libraries and we were able to hold festival events in a mobile library. And it was absolutely amazing. The librarian knew the kids in the street by name. You know, this mm. is a really important social thing is the fact that she knows, you know, the siblings of the children and everything like that. And they were marched onto the library and we made masks and read stories with the books and things like that this is a community service it's a social service this library is a social service it's not just about getting access to books absolutely you know? just just to give an idea of the sort of scale i think that uh, the county that you live in somerset is is just a fantastic example so i, I don't I, i've sprung this on you but have you got this the the figures for somerset about how many libraries there are and how many are we've got yeah, we've got 34 libraries and they want to close 
20. We've also got six mobile libraries. Now, the mobile is a bit of a guess, but I think it's six mobile libraries and they want to take four out of commission. And, you know, there's been a lot of news items about handing libraries over to communities. And there is one particular library that's been incorporated into the community and they're using it as a secondhand shop as well. I don't know if um, that's been shown nationally on the news. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a failure. Right. The loans on the books in that shop have it's um, in that library shop have gone down. Right. So while the secondhand shop is doing very well, um, <laughs> that's Charlie, a great library user. While the secondhand um, shop area is doing great, clothing's going great, guns. People have forgotten that that's actually a library, and yeah. library loans have gone down. So all these little ruses that you know um, local authorities are using to try and get the communities to take back on board the libraries, they 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 fail miserably. They fail miserably, and the ones that have been offered to communities are often charged thousands of pounds by local authorities for the book stocks, thousands of pounds for rents and thousands of pounds for all the internet accesses and the services that have already been set up by local authorities. So local communities are being hammered twice in their council tax and with trying to raise funds independently for all these vital services, library services. Um, and it's unacceptable. There's no reason for it. Good money management, good planning ahead over the next four to five years could save all these libraries. And, and is that the crux of the campaign? Because there is this huge campaign behind uh, uh, trying to keep the, the libraries open. And, and, and is that the crux of the argument against? Because, of course, the recession and the way that things are, in inverted commas, um, um, the cuts are being made across the country to all kinds of services. So is, is the argument behind the campaign um, as you've just said, that if with with proper management, could, um, it, it it would be fine. It's just you know there are other options. Well, how, how is how is the how is the campaign against these cuts um, being being well, worded? I the guess. Save Save um, Glastonbury mm. Libraries campaign. Um, they've actually got advice in um, from somebody who's worked in with a library in London, and has managed to keep um, certain libraries open up there. They've also got legal advice to ensure that people um, uh, who are um, from, you know, difficult areas, challenged areas, aren't excluded. And this is this is what's vital is that local authorities have to keep to their responsibility of ensuring that those who need these services aren't excluded from these services. And it is a matter of planning. Um, they've they've just cut they've just swept through the whole libraries um you know sort of uh, through all many many areas they've swept through with an axe and they're trying to chop so hard with this axe that it's not necessary you can prune back you can prune back and you can keep them going and so that we have all our libraries open and then when we come into better times, we can actually add to those libraries and keep improving the services. You know, I mean, I think that ultimately libraries should come out of local authority, um, you know, uh, care and it should be a national um, body that is protected 
really, because it's, you know, it is, as I say, it's a very, very vital social service. And I think I think that the, the, the general feeling that's uh, swept the country, really, uh, when it's become apparent just the, the, the scale of, of these cuts, back, back to exactly what you're, what you're saying up, it's, it's something that is, it's not, uh, it's easy to, uh, it's, I think it's easy to romanticise um, uh, old, old kind of, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, old ways. So we we, we sort of look back fondly um, to things that were really important important in our childhood. But the thing about libraries that I think is different is that it's providing, whereas whereas I talked about it providing me with books. Of course, a, a modern library will provide uh, children with books, for example. But there's so much, there's, there's such an opportunity for for her to have this public space to provide free internet, which I know many libraries do. Um, but also, it's just a, for it to be a focal point of, of of the community, in in a way that I'm not sure it was when I was young. Young, it was it was sort of widely regarded as as they were just there, weren't they? Libraries, the way you went to mm. get your books. But there was, I mean, I remember when when they first started giving CDs away, uh, CDs you could rent CDs in li- in a library. Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. We couldn't believe it. And yeah. we think now, not that many years on, now we can take that initial sort of spark of, wow, you can actually get something else other than books and start to build a sort of a, um, a digital community, community around. It's a space where people can go to uh, find uh, jobs. I mean, you know, I can just I can see a future where, you know, the job centre is tightly integrated with, uh, sorry, Job Centre Plus, I should know about this. Um, <laughs> it's tightly integrated with, with the library service. You can see how these, oh, these services, instead of working separately, could could start working together to the libraries are the libraries is if if you can imagine now Mm -hmm. the libraries is is it's like a rock that you can actually build on if we can keep the libraries where they are in each town ian Mm. and we can say okay we know they've got to change we know they've got to improve and they've got to move with the times we can add so much to them we can have music libraries where people can borrow music musicians can come um we can you know we've got video libraries already we've got public access for um uh, the citizens advice bureau use the libraries we can have them as tourist information centers because you know a lot of people from abroad they come into you know these small towns they you know if they know that they can head for the library they get all the information they need there there's so much more that you can do with them you can even have a quiet sort of um, cafe area like they have in the large shops I won't mention any names but you can say you we know, can say we like here we're not the BBC absolutely <laughs> yeah where you can go into Waterstones, where you can go into library, the library can make money that can raise its funds by having a cafe where people can go and read the papers and things like that. There's so much you can do with them. I, I um, agree completely. I think it's just a little bit of uh, a little bit of imagination, a bit of innovate, a, a exactly. bit of, just innovate a little, just get some, you know, instead of it being a polit, you know, instead of just speaking to politicians and councillors, instead of it being a decision based entirely on finances and politics get someone in from completely left field who's got an experience of creating a digital library in the private sector or in somewhere else it's it's, absolutely innovation all over the place absolutely somebody let's say like um you know virgin virgin media richard branson people who know how to utilize these things and to make the most of them well i've always said never trust a hot 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 air balloonist but yeah we could get him in i'm sure he'd do the job (laughs) <laughs> Finally, because we're uh, we're going we're going on nicely, but a little bit. Um, 
what does this mean for writers? So, I mean, I had a, a conversation with a, a friend recently who was surprised. Uh, he couldn't couldn't make the connection between uh, being a writer and the library cuts. And I said, well, for for many many writers, um, the actual book sales aren't what gives them a living. It's doing events in places like libraries. Now, I'm not saying that closing the libraries is going to send lots of writers destitute. But what does the closure of libraries mean uh, to uh, writers? Do you think? Well, I I think firstly that that libraries are actually they give people free access to to books for writers. So writers, um, you know, they they don't earn vast amounts from that. And library events like the library event that I'm going to be doing, it's free of charge. So mm. you know, writers don't rarely charge for library events. I mean, they'll 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 charge travel fees and expenses. Um, and things like that. From a writer's point of view, I've used the library as, <clears throat> firstly, as a means of accessing my readers. So I do hold events in libraries once a year um, to brings me in contact with the children, my readers. I talk to them about books and everything like that. But also, I use my library as a writer for research. And I don't think that writers, I mean, okay, you've got the internet. But I think that libraries have so much more than the Internet as far as research is concerned. Um, well, a quiet space to actually do it without getting distracted is, is a big one for me. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think actually just being with books, just going in and browsing through books and picking up books and getting inspiration from other writers is 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 what a library does for quite often for writer. I know it does it for me anyway. Yeah, well, I quite like the idea of being with books. That's quite a nice nice sentence to finish it on. Okay, yeah. we shall leave it <laughs> leave it there. We'll see what happens. It's um, you've been doing some fantastic campaigning, I know, uh, and uh, so keep it up, and hopefully it will it will make a it will make a difference, and they'll change their blinking minds. It's madness. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, thanks very much, Catherine. We can find out more about your writing, um, especially if anyone listening has got uh, any little ones that like to um, read or be read to. And that's uh, catherinewhite.net. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I'll put a link Absolutely. on. I'll put a link on the blog to that. Okay. Thank you very much, Catherine. Brilliant. Okay. okay. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Okay. So we've just got. A couple of minutes for me to give you my favourite thing for this past couple of weeks since the last podcast. And it's a very simple thing and it's possibly the best rejection letter ever. Now many of us have had, as writers, we've had our rejection letters. Mostly they go along the lines of, oh, I didn't quite love it enough, that kind of thing. But none of that, nothing you've received can beat this. This is a, uh, a rejection letter sent to one Gertrude Stein. And she knows a thing or two about writing. And it's from Arthur C. Fifield Publishers. And it goes like this. Dear Madam, I am only one. Only one. Only one. Only one being. One at the same time. Not two. Not three. Only one. Only one life to live. Only 60 minutes in one hour. Only one pair of eyes. Only one brain. Only one being. Being only one, having only one pair of eyes, having only one time, having only one life, I cannot read your manuscript three or four times, not even one time. Only one look, only one look is enough.
Hardly one copy would sell here. Hardly one. Hardly one. Many thanks. I am returning the manuscript by registered post. Only one MS by one post. Sincerely yours. Now, if you've received a rejection letter that hasn't titillated you as much as that one must have done Gertrude Stein, then you are getting some pretty awesome rejection letters. So that was my favourite thing over the last couple of weeks. I'll provide you a link to that. I posted it on my uh, blog called uh, my other blog called brunstick.com and I posted that over there and so you can go and have a look at it in all its glory so that's it thanks very much for listening to this podcast thanks very much to Catherine for giving her time and talking about libraries in a very eloquent way especially compared to me um, and um, hopefully we will speak to you next time cheerio